Broadcasting from high above the reserve, this is Radio Harambe. Jumbo, everyone, and thank you, as always, for tuning in to Radio Harambe. I'm Dave McBride, broadcasting from the Radio Harambe studios, and in just a few seconds, we're going to be uh, presenting the second part of Safari Mike and I's interview with the great Joe Rody. Now, there wasn't really a spot in here. As much as I tried to, we just kind of talked too much. There wasn't really a spot in here to make a perfect separation, uh, but... The second part here of this interview is going to be less about um, Joe's experience with Disney and Joe's time doing the different Disney projects and more about sort of his other projects and traveling and what that is all about. So that's kind of what the majority of this part of the conversation is, but there's going to be a little bit of everything. Mike also talks about the prints that he is Um, presenting as part of this charity that he's doing for the Santa Barbara Community Arts Workshop. The last time I checked, um, there was only one print left in this event. Um, All the rest of them have been sold out. There is, I believe, one still on. By the time I'm looking here, three of the four have been completely sold out. Uh, I know a lot of that are you listeners to this show and Disney Animal Kingdom fans, and I can't thank you enough for your response and helping things out, but there still is a print left. It is a really cool print, so go check it out. Uh, Over at SB... uh, Well, let me get it again. SBCAW.org slash roadie. And that's where you can find all that. Mike will say it at the end of the show as well here. So you can uh, you can go there, and but I would do it quickly because most of these were sold out within 24 hours of the beginning of this little uh, event starting on September 1st. Also, I'm not going to come back after the, uh, the interview. The interview will end the podcast for us. So just want to remind you, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter. If you have any questions, feel free to email us, everyone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Disney's Animal Kingdom. You can follow Mike on Twitter at everyone, um, And you can follow the show by just on Facebook by just going to Facebook.com and putting in um, Radio Harambe. Also, don't forget, we are selling T-shirts and merchandise and all that kind of stuff. Uh, as we tell you about all the time, the link is in the show notes. So check that out. All the money that we make off that goes towards conservation. So without further ado, we'll take a uh, short little break here and come back with our final part of our interview. Really a dream come true for both Mike and I to spend what really amounted to a couple of hours on the phone with a hero of ours, with somebody who we really admire and really think the world of. And uh, boy, I can't thank him enough for his generosity with his time and with his, uh, you know, and, and just 
just being there for us and talking with us and just offering such a great interview here. Uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as Mike and I enjoy doing it. So we'll take a little break and come back with Joe Rogan. got a couple of exploring adventure travel questions um i i think you know i i I, are you familiar with ewan mcgregor and charlie borman driving around uh on motorcycles okay (laughs) right so it's called the long way round it's one of my favorite television things i ever saw and uh you know ewan mcgregor talks a lot in there about the idea behind an adventure. This is supposed to be an adventure. This isn't, I'm not, I'm not going into touristy places. Um, I'm not, you know, going, I don't want any setup kind of things, you know, where uh, somebody's got a nice little song sung for us and we're trying to cook pizza in Napoli and all those kind of things, you know. Uh, and he talks about the spirit of adventure and how to travel that way. And I always think to myself as I'm watching it, man, I don't know that I can do that. Like, I don't, I don't know that I have that kind of, I think it's almost bravery to be able to say, I'm going to go into this place and I don't really know what's going to happen at the end of it. I mean, am am I, am I misreading the whole purpose of adventure travel? Do I have to get into the spirit of that very idea of just being brave enough to, to see what might be there? I don't think it's a bravery thing at all. Um, The need to be brave is often a byproduct of the fact that you've been foolhardy. Um, So if you're smart and you know how to make a plan and you know how to avoid trouble, you probably don't have to be very brave. Um, On top of which... Remember, adventure is relative to where you start, right? If you've never left your state, it might be a big adventure to go to the next state. It might be a big adventure to go camping in a tent where there are bears if you live in a big city where there are no bears. Um, So you certainly do not need to get on an airplane and fly to some other country in order to have adventure. What you have to do is to go further than you have gone. Um, that's what the word adventure means. Ad venture. It's Latin, right? Ad to go forth, venture to go. It just, that's all it means. Go out. So you could do that almost anywhere. If you're a little kid, then it's kind of a big adventure to walk to the park on your own for the first time. Um, Adventure is relative to where you start. So I just think, and I think a lot of people pump up the macho chest (laughs) thing. Um, uh, It's almost like it's a kind of a cliche of what adventure is supposed to be, but it doesn't have to be. I'm not for personally interested in physical adventure i'm interested in interesting places that are interesting right and i will put up with some inconvenience to get to them so i think the thing you're referring to as bravery 
is more like tolerance, like things like it's going to rain for 40 hours now. <laughs> it's going to be 42 degrees. And that's how it's going to be. And we are going to sit under this tarp for 36 of those 42 hours because there's nowhere we can go and there's nothing we can do. And it's going to be miserable. And that's how it's going to be. But this is where we are and this is what there is. So what can we do with this? Right? If, if you're the kind of person that cannot sit down in front of food and go, hmm, I guess this is what we're going to eat then that's the barrier that's going to keep you from adventure. Not being brave. You'll find that you are brave when you have to do stuff that you have to do. Because you have to do it. I, I think of the... Um... I think of the uh, the 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 documentary you did about this going out with the looking for snow leopards and the prints that you did for those and and the benefit for the snow leopard conservancy and I think it was called the leopard in the land and there's pictures of you going mm-hmm. through going through Mongolia and and I some of the vistas and I mean Joe there's nothing there but you guys I mean there's just. <laughs> There's maybe well, yeah, like no, like heel high grass and some right. mountains and there's nothing else. Right. That, that's that, right. That's right. That but, takes a little bravery to spend a week in that. <laughs> but, no, you know, but okay. So think about it, right? You're not truly alone. You're almost always with some local guide who knows what they're doing. I mean, but but and usually, usually, if something goes wrong, um, it goes by very quickly. It's just like driving on the freeway. Like you don't even think about it until after you're like, whoa, that thing that just happened, that had been dangerous. You know, finished now. There was one time when we got separated from our camels and the camels were carrying everything. The water, they're carrying all the major cold weather gear, the tents, the everything. We had our horses we had what was in the saddlebags and we made it to where we were trying to go. No camels. And so the Mongolian guide and the Kazakh guide both had to split up and disappear to go see if they could find these camels. And I was left with my friend Jim, who's a mountaineer, and myself. And then you're like going, okay. <laughs> we know already that even though right now it is 62 degrees, it could be zero degrees in three hours. So what do we have here? We have the saddles, we have the saddle blankets, we have the horses, uh, we have the stuff in the saddlebags. If we had to stay alive all night with only that, how could we do that? And then you start making a plan. Like, okay, well, if we hobble the horses and they keep them really tight with each other and we are kind of in the middle, that's body heat. We've got the blankets. We've got the saddles to keep us off the ground so we're not losing heat into the ground. Blah, 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 blah. You make a little plan. Like, we're not just going to wait for it to get worse, right? You make a plan. You go, yeah, it'll be a horrible, horrible night, but I bet you we won't be dead. Uh, so, okay, 
that's as good as that gets. It doesn't get better. <laughs> there's nowhere you can go to make it better. How good can it get with what I have? And so this is why I say it's not bravery. It's tolerance. It's like, it's not going to get better than this. This is how good it gets. So, so people don't get that part. Truly. Mm -hmm. I really mean this. It's like, it's, um, when I have needed to do something that I think other people would consider maybe to be brave, you just do it like cross some terrifying bridge. That's like, Oh Jesus, this is terrifying. Um, but what else are you going to do? I mean, this is what we have to do. We have to cross this stick. Uh, <laughs> that is the only thing there is to cross. Usually it's like that. It's not like a tiger is charging you or something. Right. I've been charged by an elephant, but you know, um, it's not that. I don't think. I think it's. I think it's not helpful for people to think of it in terms of bravery. I think it is tolerance and willingness, not just willingness, desire to be somewhere, not like where you're from. And if you have that desire, you will tolerate a lot of crap. Now, Mike, I just have a couple more exploration questions, and then I'll hand it over to you for whatever you want to uh, go out here. Um, oh, I have a couple exploration questions too, but you go ahead. Okay, so uh, if some, if I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, if someone were to ask you, "What's one place I should go?" How would you answer that question? Is there a one or two locations that you went to and you said, "Oh my God, I can't believe this is on this planet." I mean, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. Like this is just. You mentioned Mongolia a couple of times. I know you've your 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 relationship with the Himalayas certainly you've been uh, bewitched by that area and Africa and those places. But is there any one place where you would say, "Man, if you could, don't don't leave this planet without seeing this place first. <laughs> That's you know I don't think there is one answer to that question because people are different than each other and they bring different things to. Um, to their desire, right? Um, so it really it, it really matters what you're bringing. Like I personally love Nepal, love it. Um, for a lot of people, I think Nepal would be a challenging place to be. It's a little you know, rough around the edges kind of country. You got to put out a lot of effort to get up into the hills. It's physical. You know, a lot of people are like, oh no, that's not my thing. Um, but I love it. It's my favorite country. Um, uh, you know, I just came back from weeks and weeks and weeks in um, Africa. Not everybody's going to ever get to Africa. Um, I think if you had never been to Africa, the image you have in your mind, the thing that you want to see, that's in East Africa. It's in Kenya or Tanzania. Okay. Um, so, but he, and I would just tell you, and I do all the time tell people, if you've never been to Africa, you probably in your imagination have a picture that is East Africa. And you should go there and get that out of your system. And if you ever get to go back again, then you can go to 
all the other, you know, bucket list esoteric places. Um, but I really just think people should seek out the, 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 the thing, the mistake people make is wanting to go somewhere and then wanting it to be like home. Right. Like, how come the bed is so uncomfortable? How come I have to eat this food? How come I have to go to the bathroom in this toilet that doesn't look like my toilet? Right. Why can't they make things be this way? That's what you just don't do that. Anywhere you go, don't do that. And you will have a transformative experience of having actually gone somewhere. Because uh, otherwise, it becomes a kind of um, visual experience. Uh, you know, I went to this country, and I saw these things, and I have photographs of the things to prove that I saw them, but I didn't actually touch the ground in that country. I didn't be there. Right. Because being there would have meant I had to eat that food, sleep in that place, you know, do all this other stuff. But that's the stuff that you will never forget. Never. Forget. I'm, al I'm always fascinated by I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain. And I'm always fascinated by in his writings, how he always talks about exactly that, like these the issues that you had to overcome inside of yourself, you know, the. um looking at a plate of food and going, oh, I don't know what that is, but yet then allowing yourself to do it, you know, and I, I've more than once as he talked about, you know, walking in a door that you think is a bathroom and seeing a hole in the ground and not knowing exactly what to do, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you know, al allowing yourself the release to be able to do those things that you're not used to, but are going to be okay if you just do them. you know, you got to, I mean, for example, I was honored by this dinner once in the Himalayas. I had done, I had actually painted a big Mani stone for the local Lama in this village. So there's this giant painting of a Buddha on a stone now outside in this village, big dinner party. I mean, in a completely medieval hut. And I get a big pile of rice and sitting on top of it is basically the aorta of a water buffalo. <laughs> Which looks like a truck gasket. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, like, like, you know, two and a half inch apertures running through this giant thing. Oh, my God. And it might have a little bit of meat on it, but mainly it's the gasket. And like, I have to chew this. I, I'm going to try, you know, you right. the chunk and chew and chew and chew and chew. It's like chewing a Vibram shoe sole. Right. But I'm not put it in my mouth because these people gave it to me and they think it's really important. So I'm chewing this thing until I can't chew anymore because because that's what's in front of me and that's what you do. Um, so yeah, I haven't gotten sick from eating things very often at all. And usually when you do, it's not out in the country. It's in the city where somebody is cutting corners and you know you just don't even want to look back in the alley and back <laughs> whereas in the country you know food is fresh you can boil that water and then it's clean right. you know um and you, you, I, I find you don't tend to get sick for example 
from stuff that people feed you in the country. And I've eaten all kinds of things, you know, uh, perfectly happily. Sometimes like, oh, and I do not like the flavor of this thing. Right. But then what? We dash out to like in and out for a burger? I guess not. <laughs> um, so anyway, anyway, enough on that, I think. Mike, uh, my last exploration question I'll save to the end. So you, whatever you have here, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I did want to ask a couple of getting it back to Animal Kingdom for a second and exploration. So when you were taking these trips to Africa, specifically for Animal Kingdom and then to Tibet and, and other places, did the animal aspect of the Animal Kingdom, like what animals you were going to put in the park, did that play a role? Was it really strictly just sort of to make design, aesthetic, storyline kind of trips? Oh, no, it definitely did. I mean, there are many reasons for these trips. Sometimes we were meeting with conservation people. Sometimes okay. we were trying to go, you know, like what, what is it? What assemblage of animals is plausible here? What, what can we get a, a, a look at that would look like uh, what we did? For example, there's a place we ended up over time, water, not watering it down, but boiling it down to, well, you can go to several places, but you got to go to this one place, Lake Manyara, a tiny little park. Lake Manyara is not a huge reserve, um, but it just happens to be the place that ended up being the place where you would learn the most about landscape, animals, groups of animals, numbers of animals, spaces that we could do, right? So we would send people there a lot. Like, go there, go here, here, but go there. You have to see this because this is like what I think we're going to be able to do. Um, but it was animal-related, culture-related, conservation-related. What are we trying to say? Who's saying that? What do they want us to say? You know, where are they doing it? How are they doing it? All kinds of different. And then later, when you're really in production, then you are sending like you interior designers. You need to really only go here and here because that's what we're doing. And you rock work guys, you need to go there. Those are the rocks. Go get the rocks, you know, like that. So it boils down to the disciplines later in the process. Then it's very targeted. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a complicated design job and complicated to keep all those messages lined up and not contradicting each other and, you know, legitimately representing what the people of the place would want to have said, all of that kind of stuff. Now, it, it, in in this, did you did you go to like zoos to see how like other places were uh, displaying animals, or or was that not part of it? That was in the very first year. We I think went to forty zoos. Oh, wow! <laughs> and then we didn't stop, but in that first year, we were on the road a lot, and some of that was literally in the car on the road. Drive here, go there, fly here, and then drive there as many as we could. And of course, we had advisors and. All of that. We weren't flying blind. We needed well, to. Right. You brought Rick Barangi in early yeah. on, right? Yep. And there yeah. was a whole group of advisors over and above that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and I do think one of the great benefits. Uh, well, it's not exactly a benefit, 
um, adventure exploration. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, there is a slight escalation of expectation that comes along with adventure travel, explorative travel. Because, of course, when you first start out, many, many things are unfamiliar to you. And so it's easy to be somewhere that opens your eyes and wakes you up and makes you think, wow, we're not in Kansas anymore. But the more you travel, the more those things become familiar. And so you begin to push the edge of the envelope to be in more remote places, more uh, extreme places. So you still get that feeling of like, wow, I've never seen that before. Um, and so eventually my pathway kind of unzippers from any legitimate business trip you could ask people to take. Because you can't kind of do that with people on a business trip. And a research trip is a business trip. How how about when um, you know you you the, the go ahead was with for Avatar and uh, you know Pandora the world of Avatar? Did you make like exploration? Did you explore various places on Earth to help you with that? Can I can we I did. just can I just add something to that? I, I think sure, sure. from from talking to you um, and the way you're talking about travel and your and your um, love for it and stuff, I wonder if not actually having a, you know, after doing so many things where you had Norway and Mexico and you had Africa and all these places you can go to, if doing something that was more, uh, you know, not, not a place on earth you could see, if that was also particularly a challenge for you. Uh, yeah, I was, well, I don't know how, I think I've been very public about the fact that I was extremely dubious about Avatar at the beginning. Join the club. <laughs> I was like, how in the world? I get that this was a popular film, but it's a CGI film. It is not possible uh, to do this. So I had that. I also, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I've never really worked on a big IP project like this. Um, this will probably be the end of my career. I'm screwed. Um, I thought that. Um, but I did also think if this thing's going to go into Animal Kingdom, it needs to be like Animal Kingdom. It needs to feel real, or it's really going to be weird, right? If it doesn't match the aesthetic, that's going to get weirder. So luckily, the Avatar people were totally on board with this. They were extremely productive collaborators in all of this. But we did find, for example, I remember when the model builders were working on the one-inch scale model of the mountains. So it's a pretty big model. So you can see what they're going to do. And they're sculpting all the vines and roots. And I'm looking at these vines and roots. And I'm like, you know what? These don't, they look like fantasy. They look like vines and roots I would expect to see in Lord of the Rings. Because you're making them up. And when you make things up, they make too much sense. You're, they're too orderly. They're too fluid. They're too perfect. They're like the kinds of vines and roots I would expect to see in a castle park where there is a designer and it's supposed to be perfect and it's supposed to look simultaneously like an illustration and like a real thing at the same time. This is not that. 
You're supposed to look at this stuff and only think those are totally real. They must have grown here. So we're going to get on an airplane and we are going to go to jungles where you are going to walk around in jungles and look at real vines and real roots and what they really do. Because it's way weirder and stranger than what you're doing in your own imagination. Because the number of factors impinging on that root or that vine are more than you can calculate in your imagination. You need to see how strange this is, how much it isn't orderly. It isn't necessarily even pretty. It's it's just struggling for its own existence against all the things that are trying to stop it from existing. Go see this. So we did that. We did it in, we went through, uh, first we went to Hawaii and then on a separate trip we were in um, Indonesia. And then those guys went on to the original uh, um, rocks in China that the original mountains were inspired by uh, to photograph those there because as much as that's a CGI film, it's a film about actors and actresses, characters. So their heads and their faces are in the middle of that screen like 95% of the time. So there isn't actually enough detail to base a land on. You had to go find this detail. You had to make these things seem real. And in order to find the details to make that happen, you're going to have to look further. And by the way, this is what good set design does, right? Not, I mean, we're doing something different than set design. When you're designing for a film or a play, you're deliberately designing stuff that is going to sit behind the performer. The story is about the performer. It's about the acting. It, it's not about the your beautiful tower or little tree thing. It's not about that. It's about these people and what they say to each other and the emotions and the traumas that they go through. Play, movie, same thing. But in the park, it's not. The guest is the primary actor. The set now is the other actor. It needs huge amounts of detail in order to keep its performance going that you would never put in if you were designing it to sit behind a performance. I have two very quick questions, Dave, that are not really exploration related, but I, I just want to really quickly ask Joe these two animal kingdom kind of things. So are these the we discussed off off uh, oh, conversation? The rapid fire? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Of, yeah. So, Joe, what we want to torture you with here is um, <laughs> being a be, being an animal kingdom podcast. We get um, a lot of the same kind of animal kingdom questions and the same kind of Joe Rody questions. That we get all the time and we constantly answer. Uh, so what we would like to do, and these are, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, these are probably answers we could give ourselves to a couple of these. Probably. Um, because we've heard you answer this, but we wanted out of the man's mouth himself to answer these uh, very popular questions. I'm sure you can predict them if I gave you an opportunity to, but um, Mike, fire away. <laughs> well, the, the, the one that we always get is the Yeti, how it, how it doesn't work in Expedition Everest anymore. I mean, are you, is that something that really disappointed you that you weren't able to like sort of repair that before you retired? Well, yeah, I mean, I do wish it worked. Um, obviously, yeah. 
as it stays static, there's like a whole generation of people for whom it's just static. So it's less and less compared to the time in which it did the thing that it did. That having been said, it's more likely that it would be replaced than repaired, right? Um, and and who knows when that would happen? That's a big, big job, and it's a very popular ride. And the who knows? You know, we tried and tried and tried, to, but it's like you have to construct this perfect storm of the money at a time when no one else needs the money, an engineering solution that could be accomplished in a limited amount of time when you have the time. Um, uh, frankly, a marketing window uh, mm -hmm. to talk about it when you're not talking about something else. All those things have to line up. Who knows when they'll line up? But I wish it did a thing. Just to, you know, the the narrative payoff is the Yeti is alive. It would be nice if it did mm -hmm. a thing. But on the other hand, that ride is still fantastic. People love it. Oh, yeah. And if you, oh, yeah. are, if you are what? You'd have to be like a full-grown adult person, person, to even remember. Oh, I remember it. <laughs> We're all like old guys. I think know? he's calling <laughs> us old, Mike. I think he's calling us old. <laughs> he's right. He's not wrong about yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, if you're a young person, if you're like, I don't know, a high school age person, yeah, you know, this is the ride. I rode the ride. It was great. Sure, so, but man. my my twenty one year old son doesn't have, doesn't have any recollection. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But one other quick one, real. Uh, you see all this concept art about various things that you know, like obviously the Beastly Kingdom, uh, the Noah's Ark front entrance. You know, different things that were thought about at Dinoland. Is there a project that you know you guys were working on for Animal Kingdom that you, that never materialized, and you kind of sit back and think, oh, you know, I wish we actually got a chance to build that and put it up? Is there anything that kind of sticks out in your mind? You know, I, <laughs> that's I'm, a tough one, right? Uh, I'm a very pragmatic person about this. I just was having a conversation with somebody else on some other forum about this idea. And really what I had to say, I'll say this now, and then I'll come back to the question is, look, you have to understand that the, the only attraction that is really real is the one that is still running five years after you open. That's what's real. Not even the one you open is real. It hasn't yet been put through the grinder of what really makes things real, right? So to obsess about something that only exists as three drawings is not even a realistic idea of how things become real. Um, because what makes an attraction become real is a constant chess game of pragmatism, cost, opportunity, desire, like day in day out moving through focus moving through focus until finally something turns real so it's not accurate to imagine that there was a drawing of something and that was a thing that was going to get done and it just didn't get done because something got in the way if something got in the way then it wasn't going to get done because it didn't get done 
that's how things get done. Um, so that, bear in mind for all of this. Um, but really the most interesting stuff we explored was nothing that is in any of those categories. I just really, really wanted to circle all the way back around to a kind of pre-Columbian rainforesty kind of thing somewhere in that park. Because to me, that's the tripod of, of the park. You know, the savannas of Africa, the jungles of Asia, which aren't really very jungly, you know, the ruins and temples and all of the human, human aspect of Asia, and then something in the rainforest. And then that park would have its, its triumvirate of stuff. And then, of course, we have the the handle this world of imaginary animals, which eventually gets handled with Avatar mm -hmm. and this imaginary world. Um, but because other than that, I mean, literally, I walk through that park and it's more like a thing like they were supposed to paint that building powder blue in like 2002. <laughs> and it's still violent. Or they were supposed to age that drinking fountain in 1997 and it's still shiny chrome like that, you know, right. Not, Oh, I wish I had the whatever, you know, singing iguana ride. Um, uh, so no, I'm not, I'm not wired that way, nor gotcha. do I think, I think people who think that that's how it happens are imagining a different pattern of how things happen. Mm -hmm. That's more of a pure straight line. I imagine something, I draw and make representations of it. We decide to do it and then we do it, but it's much more jagged than that. Getting something made much more jig, jag step step forward back forward forward back sideways forward <laughs> diagonal back a little bit forward trade gotcha. out trade out trade in trade out trade in lock go forward stop go to back go forward that's what it's like wow uh, and that's what gets done and that's why it's so amazing that the stuff is good when it's done because <laughs> that process can make things bad and most of the time with Disney, it doesn't. They end right. up good. Uh, and that's, to me, the miracle of the place is being able to keep people's heads on and go through all that and still come out the other side with something that's kind of good. Anyway, that's that. F folklore animals were always in your plan, though, right? I mean, that's why the dragon is on the dragon heads on the original uh, uh well, well, logo. Well, I mean, that was always part of the the human experience of animals yeah, that you wanted to animals show. Animals that we imagine. So you have three sort of legs. These are separate set of legs from the regional legs. You have the the joy of the presence of actual live animals, the pure physical admiration for the beauty and presence of live animals. That's a category. You have another category which is the way we think about them, meaning the science of the study of them, the conservation of them, uh, the, the, the knowing things about them, very epcot way of thinking about animals, right? Even the whole uh, dino land is kind of animals we think about. If we didn't think about them, they wouldn't even be animals. They would be geology 
uh, because they start out as rocks. We turn them into the fossilized bones of animals, and then we turn them into animals. Um, and then you have this other thing of animals that are metaphors, animals that aren't real. They only exist to express ideas, uh, psychological ideas that we think about, um, truly imaginary animals that are the product only of us. That, and, and that's the other category. Not So it's more, as if you know me, you would know, more abstracted so that it's more open-ended so that it does not start to predicate what you're going to do, only offers you a playground of things you might do. And then out of all the things you might do, one of those things has the possibility of becoming real. Uh, Mike, do, I, I have one last one. Do you have anything else you want to throw Go for in? it. Okay. No, no, I'm just going to mention the SBCAW one more time okay. before we go, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, my, yeah. My, my last question for you is this. You've explored the world and you've been doing this for decades now. I'm curious what you, how you think the world has changed in that time. Boy. That's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> I mean, so much happened in the world, but probably the most important thing I think I've observed and I don't necessarily think this is a good thing, but the sheer number of people who now travel has resulted in big and coupled with the sheer number of people traveling and uh, social media has resulted in a huge amount of productization of the world, uh, which isn't when you're a person who does productization. <laughs> Uh, it makes it harder for me to find places where I want to go because everything has been turned into something like what I do. Right. So that's a thing. But I, I wouldn't, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't know it. You'd still go to these places. They're still fantastic. There's places to go, places to see. The least bit of effort will put you out of the flow of, you know, 8 jillion people and you can be someone you discover yourself. So you know, I think it's a little bit of a grumpy, cranky complaint. The world has changed. Yeah, sure. It also changed for guys like Herb Ryman uh, from the time he was traveling to when I was traveling. Right. So, you know, and then I mentioned that actually back to the issue of the prints. When I was making these prints, when I did these paintings of these remote areas, they were very, very remote, very, very remote. Um, and now there's a road. Uh, so the the remoteness of them is even slightly different. Um, I think the listeners for your show will enjoy these prints. The, they really are kind of an interesting part of the origin story, back to the beginning, of what led to Expedition Everest. Uh, and they play a role in that whole formation that's kind of, you know, it's kind of fun to see. So, and they are good art. They're beautiful little paintings. So hopefully, even if you're not interested in that, you're interested in um, painting or art. These are nice. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, you're a fan of art or a, or a Disney collector, these are perfect. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I'll just 23, if you happen to be there. So I'll be popping around on my birthday, September 10th at that Disney Adventures thing, too. Oh, go wish him a happy birthday! And did you? <laughs> do we know if you're gonna if, if you're gonna be on the Josh Gates thing, or do we not know that? 
I don't know. Oh, we don't, don't know. know. Yeah. Josh That's Gates is doing out. an Explorers Club thing. Yeah, that, yeah. The whole thing on the Explorers Club. I, I love Josh. He's a great guy. He's a great yeah. guy. So he invited me out to the Explorers Club to shoot some interviews. But you never know. You don't know. I mean, those guys have to edit together a show that makes sense for them, that works for them, that runs and plays, just like right. any right. actual creative product. You know, the the that's what gets it done. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, I'm in the show or not, but I did have fun, you know, sitting around the Explorers Club with Josh talking about a bunch of explorers. That was really fun. Well, before we let you go, Joe, let me just remind everybody again, go to SBCAW, which I guess stands for Santa Barbara Community Arts Workshop, but it's SBCAW.org backslash roadie. There's the four prints. They all, I mean, if you look at them, you see Expedition Everest and Circazang in them. Uh, each one is uh, – there's 50 – there are going to be 50 hand-signed uh, and numbered by Joe. So they're on sale starting on September 1st at 7 a.m. I'll put a link once that day rolls around. I don't even know if the show will be put out by – I mean maybe we'll put it out on September 1st. Right. Um, but I will – you know, look at me on Twitter. Uh, I will be putting it out there plenty of times for you. But if you are like, – like Joe said, if you're just a fan of art or – and or a Disney collector. These are these are fantastic. So sbcaw.org backslash roadie. Um, and thanks, Joe. I, we, I, this was fantastic. Thanks, guys. I had a real good time. That was really great. Thank Joe, you. B- before, before, I, before we uh, hang up here, before I let you go, I just want to, again, for me, thank you very much on Mike's behalf and mine as well for doing this. But Absolutely. also, I think, on the, certainly for the two of us who, let's face it, did a, do a, uh, a uh, Animal Kingdom podcast here, you have been an inspiration and a source of entertainment and happiness for the both of us for all of these years and I can't thank you enough for all that you've done for everybody who's been to those parks and has taken part in all these things that you've done um, your your life's work there at Disney has been uh, has touched all of us in uh, in a very profound way and uh, made us all curious and uh, made us all I think feel like we, we know a little bit more about the world and, and all of that is really thanks to your imagination and your hard work and, and I can't thank you enough for all that and, and I think on behalf of all the Disney people we didn't get a chance to, to uh, congratulate you on your retirement but uh, you know the time you spent there meant everything to us and, uh, and I can't thank you enough for that so thank you well thank you very much and of course I have to thank all the imagineers who really put in the work to make any of that stuff happen cuz you know that's how those things really get done but thank you very much I appreciate it and I hope it uh, has many more years of enjoyment to all now